Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Good morning. Our topic today is Ramakrishna and Kali. Kali being the Divine Mother Kali. Now, we all know that we just celebrated Kali Puja on Saturday night, the austere all-night worship with fasting and long hours of chanting mantras and preparing offerings and a real kind of austerity, a joyful austerity. And we're worshiping Mother Kali. Who is Mother Kali? A most unusual goddess. She stands on Shiva's breast, her husband Shiva's breast. And she has four arms. Two of them are holding rather gruesome things, a severed head and a bloody sword. What, what, is, what, is, what is this all about? So uh, I thought to, today would be a good day to talk about Kali and how better to approach Kali than through Sri Ramakrishna. Because uh, we can say that this is one of Sri Ramakrishna's gifts to us and to the world today, is this revivifying of the concept, the ideal of God, of the divine, as mother. Yes, we can approach the absolute, we can approach God not only as father, but as mother. And this was really one of Sri Ramakrishna's great contributions to this age. And uh, we can see there's a resurgence of what we can call goddess worship or the the important recognition of the divine feminine all over the world. Definitely in uh, Eastern religions, in Hinduism, Vedanta, but also in uh, Western religions, the so-called patriarchal religions, which also have streams of the recognition of the divine feminine, and those are being reawakened, particularly, I think, in Judaism and Christianity. So... uh, Sri Ramakrishna's particular focus of his devotion, of his approach to the divine, is Mother Kali. We can just remind ourselves of the concept of the chosen ideal, which is so important to Vedanta, which is that the divine, infinite and non-dual, manifests or appears to us in different forms, with different qualities, to suit our needs. So we can approach the infinite divine. How do you approach the infinity? It's very difficult, but you can approach God as Krishna or as Jesus or as Kali. And for Sri Ramakrishna, the doorway to the infinite was his divine mother, Kali. Let me describe, let me read a, a description from Swami Nikhilananda of Mother Kali from the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, his introduction. The majesty of her posture can hardly be described. It combines the terror of destruction with the reassurance of motherly tenderness. For she is the cosmic power, the totality of the universe, a glorious harmony of the pairs of opposites. She deals out death as she creates and preserves. She has three eyes, the third being the symbol of divine wisdom. They strike dismay into the wicked, yet pour out affection for her devotees. Yes, Sri Ramakrishna was utterly dedicated and consecrated to this divine mother, Kali, like a young child completely dependent on his mother. And mother was fully real to him as a person. At the same time, he saw mother Kali as the very power of creation, the power of the absolute, the power of Brahman, Shakti, the Maha Shakti, the Adya Shakti is Kali. So we'll see that in his life, there was this play between, on the one hand, Divine Mother as a person who he would talk to and see and and just turn to at every moment as his own mother, 
and at the same time as the very power animating the universe and all the beings and everything in it. That infinite and inconceivable power manifesting herself as everything. So how did this happen? How did Sri Ramakrishna come to understand who Mother Kali is? Let's go back to his childhood. He was born in 1836 in a remote village of West Bengal called Kamar Pukur. And it's difficult today to imagine the simplicity of life in those days. I sometimes yearn for those, that kind of beautiful simplicity. Of course, we couldn't be having this now if we were living there <laughs> because there was no electricity, there was no internet, there was no newspapers, there was no television, there was no radio, there were no railways, there was nothing but the simple lives of farmers, a farming community. What punctuated the year, uh, the, the time? It was the, the, the course of the seasons, the six seasons of, uh, of Bengal and agriculture and the religious festivals. And those were the main markers of the passage of time because it, it said that in the 12 months there are 13 festivals and these are the, the one festival after another after another, these are what really marked the passage of time. So it's interesting to, if we, if even now, today, in Kamarpukur, we don't find much emphasis on Mother Kali, on the worship of Shakti. It's very much a village of Vaishnavas and Shiva worshippers, those who devote to Vishnu, either Rama or Krishna or Chaitanya, and those devoted to Shiva. Uh, they must have observed the Durga Puja and the Kali Puja at the proper time, but it was, uh, say, Sri Ramakrishna's own family. The family deity was Raghuvir. The Veera, the hero of the Raghu clan. Who is that? Sri Rama, Ramachandra. So, Krudiram, uh, Sri Ramakrishna's father, his chosen ideal was Raghuvir. And Raghuvir was worshipped in the family shrine, as well as Shiva. There was a Shiva emblem there, as well as a pot uh, embodying or, or, or holding uh, the Divine Mother as Sitala. But uh, the emphasis was on the just daily worship of the Lord Rama. Now, from a very young age, Sri Ramakrishna was, a, was attracted to spirituality. And we find a remarkable event when he was only six years old, his first experience of ecstasy, spiritual ecstasy, of superconsciousness. Can we imagine the scene, the, the deep green rice fields extending as far as the eye can see? And here and there are islands of dark green where there are clusters of trees marking the villages under which, under those trees would be the huts of the villagers. And so as far as you can see, the green with the darker green clusters of trees and then dark rain clouds began to cover the sky. A deep blue, uh, gray clouds began to cover the sky and cover the whole sky. So suddenly this dark gray and then a flock of white cranes flew across those clouds. Stunningly beautiful. And the young Gadadha, Sri Ramakrishna as a young voice, seeing this sight, he became utterly absorbed in the beauty of it and completely lost consciousness of his own body, of his surroundings, of everything. And he fell down, unconscious as it were, but inwardly experiencing a deep a joy and peace as he related afterwards. So this complete absorption of Sri Ramakrishna at this very young age, this was one of the hallmarks of his life. We find this absorption, this was his speciality, as it were, absorption in whatever he put his mind on. And he was always putting his mind on the divine, getting absorbed in the divine. And also this experience of joy, of ecstasy, of bliss, that this experience of absorption in the divine is an experience of supreme joy. There was a, a, a second such incident, when he was still very young, maybe a, a year later, the night of Shiva was observed, the Shiva Ratri, 
and the all-night worship was to take place, and he was, in, he was uh, um, shall we say, railroaded into playing the part of Shiva. He wasn't planning to, but they, the, the actor, that, because they have a play playing the part of Shiva, so he was dressed up as Lord Shiva, and when he came out on the stage, he became completely absorbed in the thought of Shiva, and again went into ecstasy and lost consciousness of his body, of his surroundings, lost in the thought of Shiva. So we see that even as a very young boy, this innate predilection for natural ability for religious life, for spiritual life, and for absorption in the divine. He started practicing meditation in the cremation grounds where no one would bother him and all of that. Now we're going to fast forward to uh, 1852 when Sri Ramakrishna went to Calcutta with his elder brother, brother Ram Kumar, who was actually 31 years older than him, more like a father to him than a brother. Uh, and uh, Ram Kumar went to Calcutta to earn some money for the family. They were on hard times. And he worked as a priest in the homes of the devotees of Calcutta. And Sri Ramakrishna also began doing that work. And he loved it. He wasn't doing it to, to earn money. He just loved to worship and to offer flowers and his devotion at the feet of the Lord. Uh, so he was there from 1852. Uh, he was 16 years old. He was in Calcutta. Now, the big turning point in his life, which would uh, fix the direction of his life f thereafter, came in 1855. And uh, we can see the hand of the Divine Mother in this development. The famous landlady of Calcutta, Rani Rashmani, she was planning a huge pilgrimage with her entourage, her family, her attendants, her, the workers, the cooks, so many people, and many barges were prepared. It was to be a river pilgrimage to Benares. And uh, on the eve of their departure, she had a dream. The Divine Mother Kali, who was her chosen ideal, her Ishtadevata, appeared to her in the dream and said, don't go on this pilgrimage. Use this money to build me a temple on the bank of the Ganges. So she canceled the pilgrimage, and they started looking for a spot. They found a spot in Dakshineshwar, built the temple complex of Dakshineshwar with the grand temple dedicated to Divine Mother Kali and also temples dedicated to Shiva and temple, a temple dedicated to Krishna, Radha Krishna. So to cut to the chase, Ram Kumar, Sri Ramakrishna's elder brother, was... Uh, and enlisted to become, to dedicate the temple of Mother Kali and to become the worshiper there, the main pujari or priest in this temple. And he accepted that position. And so he moved to Dakshineshwar, bringing Ramakrishna along with him. Ramakrishna didn't have any interest in it at first. He was just going along, <laughs> his brother was there. And uh, gradually, however, he was somehow convinced to start taking up the puja in the temples, and he began in the Krishna temple and then was asked to take up the worship of Mother Kali. It's a Hindu tradition that you can't worship in the temple of a particular deity without being initiated in that tradition. So Sri Ramakrishna also was initiated with the mantra of Kali by one Kenaram Bhattacharya, Bhattacharya, we would say, a noble uh, guru of those days, but we don't know anything more about him except that he planted the seed of Mother Kali's name in Sri Ramakrishna's heart at the time of initiation. And after that, Sri Ramakrishna began the rather complex, at times very complex, rituals of the worship of Divine Mother Kali. But his uh, worship is not like most people's worship. He became consumed with this idea. Is this real? Are you real, mother? Am I just worshipping a stone image? Or are you real? Are you receiving this worship? At that time also, his brother, who had been really like a father to him, his, father have, his own father having died in, in his, at a very young age, he was nine or ten, 
his own brother also died, driving deep into his mind the impermanence of this world and the impermanence ultimately even of all human relationships, of all... uh, Everything in this world comes to an end. It all ends in death. This was brought so vividly to his mind. And this spurred him inward and onward towards learning who is Mother Kali. So this intense longing to know Mother awakened in him. And his worship would drag on for hours as he would pray intensely. He would weep. Are you real, Mother? He would spend nights in meditation, calling on mother all night. He hardly slept. And this kind of soul-stirring hunger, intense restlessness, a constant anxiety to find out the mother, to see mother, to have her vision, to have her darshan, began to consume him. This is uh, later would be one of the keynotes of his teachings, that the essence, the essential ingredient in spiritual life is longing for the divine. And this he first demonstrated, he experienced it in his own life through this period of his sadhana, his spiritual discipline. And one thing alone, I want to see you, mother. Prayers, tears, songs and songs and songs and misery. And then, it didn't take too long, by 1856, He had this experience, and I'll read his own description of this experience. He says, I felt as if my heart were being wrung out like a wet towel. The towels in India of those days and even today are not like our American towels, you know, the nice big fluffy towels. It's just a thin piece of cloth, and after bathing, one dries oneself off, and then one rinses it out in water and wrings it out. So that that feeling of that ringing out, that's what his heart felt like, this being wrung out with pain and, and, and agony. I was overpowered with a great restlessness and a fear that it might not be my lot to realize her in this life. I could not bear the separation from her any longer. Life seemed to be not worth living. Suddenly, my glance fell on the sword that was kept in the mother's temple. There was a sword there for the sacrifice of goats on the special uh, monthly worships of the Divine Mother. A goat was sacrificed. So he, he, he saw that sword and he said, I determined to put an end to my life. When I jumped up like a madman and seized it, suddenly the Blessed Mother revealed herself It was as if the room, doors, temple, and everything else vanished together, as if there were nothing anywhere. And what I saw was an infinite, shoreless ocean of light. That ocean was consciousness, as far as the eye could see. The shining billows were madly rushing at me from all sides, with a terrific noise to swallow me up. I was panting for breath. I was caught in the rush and collapsed unconscious. What was happening in the outside world, I did not know. But within me, there was a steady flow of undiluted bliss, altogether new, and I had the direct realization of the presence of the Divine Mother. It's an extraordinary experience and uh, great reassurance for us. He was worshipping this Divine Mother Kali hmm? with the four arms, one, one hand holding the bloody sword and the other holding a severed head. What is that head all about? Whose head is that? Actually, it's our head. <laughs> It's our head, not this head, but our head of ignorance, our head of uh, egoism that obstructs our view of the Divine Mother. Why do we not see the Mother? Because we, we have, we're so identified with this body. We think we're this personality and this body, and that's our big ego head of ignorance. And Mother, out of her grace, severs that head. And we get the vision of the mother. So interestingly, that Sri Ramakrishna went to grab the sword, which is used to sever the heads of the goats. 
And as he reached for it, Mother, out of her grace, removed that final veil covering, uh, obscuring his uh, vision of her. And how did he see her? Not as a four-armed goddess. No, he experienced her as an infinite ocean of bliss and light and consciousness. By the by, Mother's other two arms, as we know, uh, are displaying the assurance, fear not, Abhaya, don't be afraid. And I'm giving you whatever you need. I'm here to give you, I'm your mother. Don't be afraid, accept my gifts and my sword of knowledge severs your ego of ignorance. So when Sri Ramakrishna came out, he remained in this state of ecstasy, of complete absorption in this ocean of light for a long time. When he came out of it, the first words out of his lips were, Ma, Ma, Mother, Mother. This, of course, is a major turning point in Sri Ramakrishna's life. For anyone else, this would represent the culmination of a lifetime or maybe even many lifetimes of spiritual practice, intense spiritual practice. But for Sri Ramakrishna, this was just the beginning, just the beginning of his sadhana, his even more intense practice. It be, this, this kicked off, as it were, an intense a period of 12 years of extraordinary spiritual practice. It, it, right at the beginning, after he had this vision of mother, and then again he was uh, in the body. He was aware of his body and his surroundings. And when he was not directly perceiving mother, that anxiety, that longing, came back with a burning intensity, perhaps even greater than it had been before. Such pain, he would lie, roll on the ground, weeping intensely for her mother. People would stand around around him, looking at this man, this, this full-grown man of... of uh, uh, was he 19 or 20 years old, weeping on the ground and thought that he had gone mad, that he was missing his mother in the village so much that he was weeping for. He was weeping for his divine mother. And this kind of intense weeping would also bring the vision of Mother Kali. And uh, he would have the vision of mother in her four-armed form, granting boons and fearlessness. The, the phrase is, is significant. Varabhayakara chinmayi murti. Varabhayakara, granting vara and uh, granting uh, vara and abhaya, the uh, uh, granting fearlessness and boons, and of the very, very embodiment of consciousness, chinmayi murti, of the form of consciousness. So here again we see this play of, of mother as the formless reality the infinite ocean, as well as she who is of pure consciousness, but granting boons and fearlessness like that. You know, at this time when he would worship mother uh, in the temple, there's the time when mother is to eat the food offerings, we make a food offering, and he would actually see the mother come down from the altar and sit before the offerings and eat it. And sometimes he was heard to say, wait, mother, let me chant the mantra first and then you eat. <laughs> He's going to, there are certain procedures in the worship and he has to chant certain mantras and his uh, mother's coming and eating before he'd even chanted the mantra. He said, wait, mother, let me chant the mantra. <laughs> so this is the kind of realization he had. Now, how did his worship come to an end? It wasn't long. It was perhaps a year or two when uh, his um, worship of the Divine Mother came to an end and he describes how it happened. He says that uh, the Divine Mother revealed to me in the Kali temple that it was she who had become everything. She showed me that everything was full of consciousness. The image was consciousness. The altar was consciousness. The water vessels were consciousness. The door sill was consciousness. The marble floor was consciousness. All was consciousness. I found everything inside the room soaked, as it were, in bliss, the bliss of the divine. I saw a wicked man in front of the Kali temple, but in him also I saw the power of the Divine Mother vibrating. That was why I fed a cat with the food that was to be offered to the Divine Mother. I clearly perceived that all this was the Divine Mother, even the cat. 
like a madman, I began showering flowers in all directions. Whatever I saw, I worshipped. So this uh, remarkable realization really is what we find later, Sri Ramakrishna became fully established in this, understanding that mother has become everything. Not only living beings, but even inanimate things. They're all full of consciousness. And that consciousness is of the very nature of bliss. This was his vision. Can you imagine? Uh, the Hindu uh, worship, doctor, worship uh, procedures are very strict regarding the food offerings. And we know here, those of us who have participated in our worship, you have to prepare them very carefully. You can't taste them. You shouldn't even smell them. You should not breathe on them. Pre prepare them, put them very carefully on plates reserved only for the puja, and then cover them and carry them in. And at the proper time, they are uncovered and then sprinkled with Ganges water to, and, mon and mantras are chanted and mudras are formed to purify it. And then it's offered to the divine. Now, those sacred offerings which are prepared so carefully, Sri Ramakrishna placed them before a cat. Shocking. For, in, uh, for, the, for the people of those days, it would be utterly shocking. Yet he saw really saw that Divine Mother is in the cat. So there was, for him, there was no, um, no flaw in his worship. There was no uh, problem for him. But for, for us, that doesn't mean that we should go do that. <laughs> we should observe the traditions of our temple puja. But for Sri Ramakrishna, he, had, he went beyond formal worship in this way. And can you imagine, it's almost funny to think he saw Mother everywhere. So wherever he looked, there's mother. He began to throw flowers everywhere. How can you worship mother in the temple when you're seeing mother everywhere? <laughs> so this is how his worship ended. So let's talk. Uh, let's, I think we're, we're going to fast forward over what happened in this next period because he undertook a number of, uh, he, he, um, drew to him, as it were, or different teachers came to Dakshineshwar to teach him the advanced spiritual disciplines of different uh, spiritual uh, lineages, like Tantra, the, the Bhairavi Brahmani came and taught him the, the 64 Tantras, the disciplines of 64 Tantras, very complex disciplines, and he performed them. And uh, attained the realizations of these disciplines. Then the Vaishnava teacher came and taught him, the, gave him the Rama Mantra. And uh, so he, he also practiced uh, Christianity and he had a, a, a teacher of Sufism, of Islam. And he practiced disciplines of Sufism for three days. So he, he in this period was a period of, of uh, really exploring all the different paths to the divine and verifying that they are true. But uh, we're going to skip now to his practice of non-dualism, of Advaita Vedanta. The uh, tradition of Advaita Vedanta in those days, and still now really is preserved by the monks of the Shankara order, the Dashanami Sampradaya. And in those days, they, would, they were wandering around, wandering monks, and uh, in fact, we Ramakrishna order swamis are also members of the Shankara order. It's like a subset of the Shankara order. And so uh, the sannyasins are the caretakers, as it were, who, who preserve these teachings of Advaita Vedanta. So it's a living lineage going back to Sri uh, uh, Shankaracharya and beyond uh, in this tradition of Advaita, non-duality, that the fundamental nature of reality is one and non-dual. We say non-dual because it's beyond all conceptions even of one and two. If we say it's one, then we, we may have an idea of two. We say non-dual, it's not two. And uh, our true nature, who we really are, is none other than that. So that's perhaps the, the very fundamental axiom of Advaita Vedanta, that uh, Brahman alone is, that infinite consciousness which is reality alone is, and its nature is one and non-dual, and you are that. So one of these wandering monks named Tota Puri came to Dakshineshwar on his 
pilgrimages to the different holy places. He was an illumined soul established in non-dual realization. And uh, what will an illumined soul do? Well, he'll go around to different places of pilgrimage and take the inspiration from there and bless the places and bless the people as he moves. And uh, he came to Dakshineshwar. He saw Sri Ramakrishna. And he immediately recognized him as a highly qualified spiritual seeker, a, a sadhaka, a spiritual practitioner who was eminently qualified, in fact, for the disciplines of Advaita Vedanta, for getting realization in the path of non-dualism. So he approached him and said, my boy, would you like to learn Advaita Vedanta from me? Sri Ramakrishna, child of the mother, what did he do? I don't know, let me go ask my mother. So the monk, he probably smiled and said, yes, go ask. He thought, you know, in India especially, the relation between mother and son is very uh, deep and it lasts lifelong. It's, not, it's much deeper than it, perhaps even than it is in America. So uh, at, 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 uh, this would have been in 1864, he was 28 years old. At 28, he, could, he may very well have uh, st still have this very close mother-son relationship with his mother. So where did he go? He went to the Kali temple to ask his mother, his divine mother Kali. And the mother told him, ah, yes, it is for that reason that the monk has come to teach you. So he came back smiling and said, uh, yes, sir, I've, mother says that you have come to teach me. I would be happy to learn Advaita Vedanta from you. <laughs> so uh, he, was grant, he was made a swami. He was, he was initiated into sannyasa because the tradition in those days was that uh, only sannyasins should be taught the teachings of Advaita Vedanta. Swami Vivekananda later broke those kinds of restrictions and opened the door to all to uh, the uh, holy teachings. And he was given the instructions in the, the, the non-dualism. Only Brahman exists, all else is illusory, and thou art that. He was given the Mahavakyas, the great sayings of the Upanishads, like Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. My true nature is Brahman. And Tattvamasi, that thou art, that infinite reality which is Brahman. That thou art, that is your true nature. So he was given these, uh, and Dhotapuri instructed him to make his mind completely still. And if the mind becomes completely still, and then focus that mind on the, the Atman, the true self, who we are, that infinite consciousness, then the realization comes. And let's read a little about what Sri Ramakrishna says about it, what he said about it. He says, uh, uh, Totapuri asked me to make my mind free of function in all respects and merge in the meditation on the self, capital S, the Atman. But it so happened with me that when I sat for meditation, I could by no means make my mind go beyond the bounds of name and form and cease functioning. So Sri Ramakrishna, in some, in maybe he's not so different from us. We sit for meditation. Can we withdraw our minds from name and form? It's very difficult. We get, our minds get drawn to so many things. What we had for breakfast, what we're going to have for lunch. <laughs> uh, the talk I have to give tomorrow. Uh, I have to go grocery shopping later. My name and form. But Sri Ramakrishna's case is a little different. He says, the mind withdrew itself easily from all other things. Everything in this world, he could withdraw his mind just uh, like a tortoise drawing in its limbs. He could draw every, his mind completely away from everything. But what would happen then? As soon as it did so, the intimately familiar form of the universal mother, consisting of the effulgence of pure consciousness, appeared before it, before his mind, as living and moving and made me quite oblivious of the renunciation of names and forms of all descriptions. So here we find Sri Ramakrishna, he's being taught, you know, remove your mind from all names and forms, and he's easily able to do that, but then the mother's all blissful form appears before him. It's so intoxicating that he can't possibly think of anything else. It's full of mother. So this happened over and over again. Dotapuri would instruct him, and again and again he would dive deep into meditation, lose all awareness of body even, and be faced with the mother. 
his own bliss, all blissful divine mother. So he began to despair, almost despair. He says, almost despairing of attainment of nirvikalpa samadhi. I then opened my eyes and said to the naked one, he used to call, he wouldn't call him by his name. He was, he would call him the naked one because he was uh, such an austere monk. He wore no clothing at all. So I said to the naked one, no, it cannot be done. I cannot make the mind free from functioning and force it to dive into the self. Dorapuri was a very uh, fierce monk, one of those fierce <laughs> monks. You have to be a little fierce if you're going to wander all over India without a scrap of clothing on your body, right? Okay, so <laughs> he scolded him severely. Huh? He scolded him severely. He said, what? It can't be done? What utter defiance? And then he looked about on the floor. They were practicing in a little hut under the banyan tree in the Panchavati, in the grove of five trees. And he found a broken piece of glass. And he placed that right between Ramakrishna's eyebrows and pierced the skin. Very sharp, very sharp, needle-like point. And said, he told him, collect the mind here to this point. So Sri Ramakrishna, here's the... the uh, the result. With a firm determination, I sat for meditation again. And as soon as the holy form of the Divine Mother appeared now before the mind, as previously, I looked upon knowledge as a sword and cut it mentally in two with that sword of knowledge. There remained then no function in the mind, which transcended quickly the realm of names and forms, making me merge in samadhi. So this was the experience, the realization of nirvikalpa samadhi, when the mind completely ceases functioning, no names, no forms, no duality remains. And he was immersed in his own true nature, which is our own true nature, Brahman, Atman, the infinite ocean of consciousness. And this state lasted for three days. So Dotapuri also was, was dumbfounded afterwards that that experience which had taken him uh, 40 years of intense practices to attain, that Ramakrishna had attained in a matter of days with a few, with a few instructions and then the, the, the glass, but he was a skilled teacher. He knew how to bring his, his pupil to realization. So what, after that experience, guru and disciple become uh, on equal footing. So uh, this was the realization of non-duality, the culmination, as it were, of his spiritual practices. He had cut Mother Kali in two to do it. So we might ask, after that, when he came back to the consciousness of his body and the world, was Mother then gone? He did, of course, come back to the consciousness of the body. The, the, there are people who will just give up their bodies in Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Once entering Nirvikalpa Samadhi, won't come back again. There's no need for the body anymore. One has realized one's true nature, attained liberation, and the body is just cast off. But Ramakrishna had a mission, so he came back. And uh, what was his understanding then? I think we'll, we'll see how he then understood that Kali and Brahman are not two. This teaching which he would emphasize again and again, that Kali is not different from Brahman. That which is called Brahman is really Kali, he would say. She is the primal energy, the Adya Shakti. When that energy remains inactive, I call it Brahman. And when it creates, preserves, and destroys, I call it Shakti or Kali. Brahman and Kali are not different. So, He's using different names for the different reality, different, uh, for the same reality, different names for the same reality, Brahman and Kali, depending on whether it is active or remains as the infinite uh, witness. And he likens it to, uh, he used to give the example of fire. When we think of fire, we also think of the, the power of fire to burn. You can't really separate the two in your mind. Just think about it. If we, have, if we think about fire, you automatically know, you think, fire is hot, it's burning. And if you think of that burning power, you think of, oh, how fire can burn things, you're naturally thinking of fire. So you can't separate the two. Likewise are Brahman and Kali. 
there are two aspects. He, he would say that to which Brahman belongs, Shakti also belongs to that. So the, the infinite divine is greater than all conceptions we can form of it. Brahman and Kali are actually two names. <laughs> They're just names to us. So what happened? Sri Ramakrishna was so drawn to the state of nirvikalpa, uh, this infinite bliss of dwelling in one's own nature without any form or duality whatsoever, that uh, he had difficulty remaining in the world and remaining in his body. Uh, he, for a period of about six months, he remained almost continually in this state of nirvikalpa samadhi. And uh, he, would, he could have easily given up his body in that time. But at the end of that period, he received the direct command of the Divine Mother, stay at the threshold, remain in bhavamukha. Bhavamukha is the term. Uh, the, the, remain at the source of all ideas, of all forms, of all ideals. This bhavamukha, at the threshold, stay at the threshold between the absolute and the relative. So he was, at that point, he was like someone who, who's standing right at the threshold of a door. He can see inside the room and he can and see outside the room. And he could easily step in one side and then step out the other side at the threshold of bhavamukha. So this is, um, from this Standpoint, Sri Ramakrishna could say that Divine Mother has become all this, has become everything, and really be established in it. He had that realization, of course, much earlier. But now he understood that even Brahman and Kali are not separate. And he could understand that everything we see is just different uh, waves in the ocean of infinite consciousness. Some may be covered over more with ignorance and some less, but all manifesting that infinite reality. So this, it is in this state of bhavamukha that we know Sri Ramakrishna in the gospel. When we read about him in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, he is in bhavamukha, he's at the threshold. And uh, he has this deep, rich knowledge, which he called vijnana, this deep knowledge which is a richer kind of knowledge than just knowledge. He used to say that some people have heard of milk only. Some people have seen milk. Some people have drunk milk and become nourished by it. Those who have only heard of milk, they're ignorant. They've heard of it, but they've never seen it. They don't know for sure that it exists. Those who have seen milk, those are like those who are, have attained jnana, knowledge of God. They have seen God. They know it exists without a doubt. But those who have drunk milk, those who have been nourished by it know, know it intimately. Those, that, those who know the divine intimately, they, have, they speak with God like a person. They, have, they talk with God. They know God in, in, completely. So like an intimate relative, mother is the intimate relative of Ramakrishna, and he would always turn to her. And so while mother is always the infinite absolute, she is also a person. When he was at Keshav Sen's house during the latter's last final illness, it was their last meeting together, and Sri Ramakrishna waiting for Keshav in the drawing room there, he went into ecstasy. And then as if seeing someone enter the room, he said, Oh, mother, I see you too have come. How you are showing off in your fancy Banaras sari. Mother, sit down. Don't bother me now. Be quiet. <laughs> Divine Mother comes in and, you can, and Ramakrishna could tell her, sit down and be quiet, don't bother me now, please. <laughs> so the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, though Sri Ramakrishna is on the threshold of the absolute, the gospel is full of prayers to mother, songs about mother, teachings about mother, tears, shedding tears, thinking of mother. We can say if Sri Ramakrishna is the star of the show of, of the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, mother is the director she may be just beyond our view, but she is fully in Sri Ramakrishna's view at all times. So Sri Ramakrishna, he would pray often to mother. Even in the gospel, he would tell us about his prayers and, 
teach us how to pray. One of the, the prayer that he uh, taught most often is a prayer for what? Anything in this world? Love, pure love and love alone. And the one he, the, the specific prayer, he apparently during the period of his sadhana, his spiritual discipline, he uttered this prayer and he would tell us about it many times. He says, I prayed to the Divine Mother only for love. I offered flowers at her lotus feet and said with folded hands, O Mother, here is thy ignorance and here is thy knowledge. Take them both and give me only pure love for thee. You can imagine he's holding the flowers and offering as if the flowers, both the flowers of ignorance and the flowers of knowledge. Here is thy holiness and here is thy unholiness. Take them both and grant me only pure love for thee. Here is thy virtue and here is thy sin. Here is thy good and here is thy evil. Take them all and grant me only pure love for thee. Here is thy dharma and here is thy adharma. Take them both and give me only pure love for thee. It's a remarkable prayer. Usually when we pray, would we pray like this? We say, Mother, take away my ignorance and give me knowledge. Mother, take away my evil propensities and give me good propensities. Mother, take away my impurity and give me purity. <laughs> right? Mother, t take away the bad and, and give me the good. That's how we pray. But Sri didn't pray that way. He's, he gave everything. Here is purity and impurity. Take them both. I don't want either. Here is knowledge and ignorance. I don't want any of it. All I want is love. Love is its own reward. I need nothing else but love. So these, of course, are the, uh, the dvandvas, these pairs of opposites, which we touched on, we mentioned just earlier. Uh, the idea is that Mother, the Divine Mother, is beyond everything. She is beyond both good and evil. She is beyond both knowledge and ignorance. Yes, we have to cross ignorance. We have to give up sin. We have to uh, leave behind the wicked and attain the good. But then we also have to go beyond the good. We have to give up even the good. We have to even give up the virtuous. We have to give up knowledge to go beyond both into the non-dual reality that is Divine Mother. At one interesting point, he, he remarked that I mentioned all these, but I could not say, Mother, here is thy truth and here is thy falsehood. Take them both. I gave up everything at her feet, but could not bring myself to give up truth. Because if he gave up truth, then where would be the validity of his giving up the other things? If, if, so he used to say that truthfulness is the tapasya, the spiritual discipline, the austerity of this age. This age, the truthfulness is the austerity and love is the path. like to just touch on a, an interesting conversation he had at, at a devotee's house. He was visiting Nanda Bose's house in Calcutta, and they had a fascinating conversation. The question, the conversation turned to the question of why this creation? Why does God create this world? It's a question that really comes to spiritual seekers. Well, why? If God is the all-blissful, infinite reality, an ocean of bliss, why this creation which is so miserable and so much suffering? Why? And Sri Ramakrishna's answer, which is uh, maybe difficult for us to, to swallow sometimes, is she said, it's her pleasure. It's her will, her sweet will. And then he sang this song, which Preeti sang for us at the beginning. Shokoli tomari icha. All is done, O mother after thine own sweet will. Thou art in truth self-willed, O Tara, O Redeemer of mankind, of humankind. Thy workest, th thou workest thine own work, men only call it theirs. That line is wonderful. Tomar karma, tumi koroma, loke bole kuriyami. Tomar karma, your work, you do, mother, you do your work. People only say, I'm doing it. I'm doing it, but actually, it's you who are doing it. You are the doer. You are the only doer. I am the chariot, and thou art the charioteer. 
I move alone as thou, O mother, movest me. Only from the standpoint of Bhavamukha, from the standpoint of this threshold, does this really make sense. For Sri Ramakrishna, the finite human will is subsumed into the Divine Mother's all-encompassing infinite will. Now, it's a very mature understanding, and there is a danger to it. The danger is, of course, that it could lead to fatalism or to laziness. If it's all Mother's will, then why should I do anything? Mother is going to do it. Uh, if it's all Mother's will, then why should I fight against injustice? Why should, I, why should I even clean my room? It's Mother's will that it's dirty. Well, from one standpoint, that may be so. But that's a very tamasic understanding. The beauty of it, it leads to surrender. Try, we try to see the hand of the Divine Mother in everything. Actually, she is doing everything. Can we see her hand in everything? Even in our every act, can we then transform ourselves? Our own acts become transformed if we can see that Mother is acting through us too. Can we purify our minds so that even our thoughts are Mother's thoughts? Can we express the Divine in our every act and our every thought? Then after singing this song, Sri Ramakrishna continues, the Divine Mother is full of bliss. He used to call her Anandamoyi, full of bliss. What a sweet name, Anandamoyi. The Divine Mother is full of bliss. Creation, preservation, and destruction are the ways of her sportive pleasure. Innumerable are the living beings. Only one or two among them obtain liberation, and that makes her happy. So this keynote of his teaching of, of, of the nature of mother, of the nature of reality as bliss. To know her is to be immersed in supreme bliss. So this is all well and good. Nanda Bose raises the objection which we can all raise. It may be her sweet will, but it is death to us. We're dying here. We're suffering. Sri Ramakrishna asks, yes, but where are you? It is she who has become all this. It is only as long as you do not know her that you say, I, I. Interesting that the translation actually says, who are you? But uh, I consulted the Bengali, and in this particular place, Sri Ramakrishna says, where are you? Everything is mother. Where can I see anything but mother? I only see mother everywhere. Where are you? Only as long as we say, I, I, do we suffer. Only as long as we don't know her do we suffer. So how do we understand this world? and suffering if the Divine Mother is ever blissful. Why should we suffer? Why do we suffer? It is her will. It's not a very satisfying answer at first. It is our ignorance of her. It's also still the, the question, doesn't answer the question why. It is her play. Well, maybe her play, but we are dying. Well, it's all she. She is also suffering. She is the one who suffers. She is the one who causes the suffering. She is all. And in this, at the end of this conversation, he gives a remarkable assurance. He says, all will surely be able to know her. All will be liberated. It may be that some get their meal in the morning, some at noon and some in the evening, but none will go without food. All without any exception will certainly know their true nature. We're actually out of time, uh, but I have a captive audience here. If anyone needs to go, you can go. Anyone who's watching who needs to go, you can go. I, I feel like we need to uh, touch on one final event in Sri Ramakrishna's life. Uh, in 1885, Sri Ramakrishna was diagnosed with throat cancer, a very tragic and bittersweet... Uh, we, we remember those that, that time with such... Uh, pathos because it was uh, on the one hand the time when the devotees became so close to him and he, he revealed his divine nature to them and to us and yet at the same time he was suffering or at least apparently suffering from this terrible disease so he was moved to Calcutta for ease of treatment and the devotees could spend time with him and it was uh, to a neighborhood first he went to a neighborhood of Calcutta called Shampukur and it was the night of the Kali Puja, which we just celebrated last week. November 6, 1885, 135 years ago. 
Sri Ramakrishna asked the devotees to make arrangements for worship. So they gathered flowers and incense and sandal paste and trays of sweets and all these things, a jug of water, I'm sure, and all those kinds of ingredients for worship. They arranged in his room that night. But Sri Ramakrishna didn't give them any further instructions. There was no image, no photograph or painting or statue of Mother Kali. And uh, Sri Ramakrishna was sitting that, uh, that night. He was sitting in his room with the devotees, the quietly sitting around him. They were all meditating. And uh, oh, well, what's going to happen? When is the puja going to start? And uh, one of the devotees, being inspired from in, within, it must be, suddenly got up, took a handful of flowers in his hands, and offered them at Sri Ramakrishna's feet, saying, Jai Ma, glory to the mother. What happened? Sri Ramakrishna entered into deep ecstasy, and his hands formed those mudras of assur- granting assurance and granting fearlessness. He became completely identified with the Divine Mother, and the devotees all in turn offered flowers at his feet, at the mother's feet. An amazing transformation takes place in the master. This is M's description in the gospel. Before the very eyes of the devotees, his face shines with a heavenly light. His two hands are raised in the posture of granting boons and giving assurance to the devotees. It is the posture one sees in images of the divine mother. His body is motionless, He has no consciousness of the outer world. Is the divine mother of the universe manifesting herself through his person? He asks. Speechless with wonder, the devotees look intently at Sri Ramakrishna, who appears to them to be the embodiment of the divine mother herself. So the devotees worshipped Sri Ramakrishna's feet. They sang sang songs to the divine mother late into the night. Four months later, Sri Ramakrishna revealed in in this conversation, there are two persons in this, pointing to his body, there are two persons in this. One is she. Yes, one is she, and the other is her devotee. It is the devotee who broke his arm, and it is the devotee who is now ill. Do you understand? Alas, to whom shall I say all this? Who will understand? So who is Ramakrishna then? At the Kalipula in Shampukur, he clearly manifested as Divine Mother. He became so identified with the Divine Mother that she manifested through him. The container was so pure that finally only Mother remained. And in this last revelation, he says there there are two here. There's she, and there's also her devotee. And yet, who is her devotee? When Sri Ramakrishna would try to find his eye, he would say, I I tried to find my eye, but I couldn't find it. I only found thou. Swami Vivekananda says, The future, you say, will call Ramakrishna Paramahamsa an incarnation of Kali? Yes, I think there's no doubt that she worked up the body of Ramakrishna for her own ends. On August 16, 1886, uttering three times, Om Kali, Om Kali, Om Kali, Sri Ramakrishna gave up his body and entered Mahasamadhi, becoming eternally free and identified with the Absolute, with the Divine Mother. I close with a little quote from Swami Ramakrishnananda. He says, is, is one of his very devoted attendants. Sri Ramakrishna used to think of the Divine Mother as his real mother. Just as the child is unwilling to leave the lap of his mother, so also he was loath to leave his mother. Day after day, he used to stand before the Divine Mother and get lost in divine bliss. And he knew for certain that there was no place in this world except the feet of his Divine Mother where such great bliss could be had. That is why he liked so much to take the aspirants after bliss to the feet of the Divine Mother. He would take the seekers of bliss, the seekers of joy, 
to the feet of the Divine Mother. He's eager to take us to the feet of the Divine Mother. And we are seekers of bliss. There's no one in this world who's not a seeker of bliss. We're all seeking bliss, only most of us are seeking it in the wrong places. Sri Ramakrishna is ready to take us to the source of all bliss, the feet of the Divine Mother. Let us go with him and taste that nectar of bliss at the feet of the Divine Mother. Reminds us of that song. The black bee of my mind is drawn in sheer delight to the blue lotus flower of Mother Kali's feet. What do we drink there? We drink the ecstasy of bliss. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.